After all, there is nothing real outside our perception of reality, is there? Je peux pas te dire ce que tu peux faire pour moi. Tu vas voir, c'est pas compliqué. Tu me parles pas. Tu me poses pas de questions. If you wish to avoid prosecution, I would advise that you comply with our language laws. This is the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to the RCMP. That's the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. I'm your host today, Becky Shrimpton. And with me, oh guys, I've got a real treat. I have the married couple and also production couple, Vladimir John Kubert and Nicole Maroon today talking about their feature film, Luba. Vladimir, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for coming. And Nicole, hi, how are you? Hi, I'm great. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, I just want to give our listeners a quick heads up that Luba does deal with some stuff that requires a content warning. Uh, we're going to be talking about drug abuse, assault, children in peril. So these are just a few things as a heads up as we move forward into this. It's a great movie. Everyone should go check it out. And it's going to be premiering very soon. Uh, Nicole, do you want to give me the details on how people are going to be able to see Luba? We're going to be doing a worldwide release. We're starting with a theater release here in Toronto and in Calgary, January 10th. And then we're going to be also simultaneously releasing on Highball TV. So you'll be able to rent our movie either through subscription with Highball TV or just an individual purchase through Highball TV. Get us online on your personal device. Yeah, we're going to be available for both rental and purchase on Highball TV. And we're on that platform exclusively first, and then in, and then a little bit down the line, we're going to be on Amazon and iTunes as well. Now, their uh, platform tends to also favor festival favorites and bring them in. And your guys' Luba definitely categorizes as one of the festival favorites. Uh, how was the circuit for you guys? Where did you appear and how was it? We, uh, we premiered at Cinequest in California, which is a really big <laughs> festival down there. Um, I think they have 300 films in their festival, and it runs a couple weeks. And uh, that was really, really fantastic. And uh, we had a really, really great time there. Got lots of good press, got lots of good reviews. And then from there, we went to another festival in California, kind of a, a rising star f- uh, festival called Idlewild, who are now like uh, Oscar qualifying. And then we went to New York City for the Women's International Film Festival. And then we played another five festivals, including Michael Moore's in Traverse City and uh, the Canadian Film Festival in Toronto. And we won along the way throughout those eight festivals. We won two Best Picture uh, awards and two audience favorites for Best Picture awards. Well, the awards are really the most important part because that's the part people pay attention to. It's like, that's right. We have a multi-award winning show. I think what interested me is that this is your guys' first feature to do as well as you did on the festival circuit is really remarkable and something to be lauded. So I think I'm curious as to why you guys decided this was what you wanted to be as your first film. Well, I wrote the script. So, so Nicole didn't really have a say so much in what we chose to do. The idea of doing this film at all started with the script and I wrote the script winter of 2010, I believe. And then I completed it I mean, we were filming it, and I was still rewriting it. That's how it goes with film scripts. But I guess like a ready, a ready or close to ready for shoot version of the script was done by you know the summer before maybe we started filming. I had a friend that the film was inspired by, whose story is very similar in many ways. The main themes of addiction, destroying the family, and the single mother, 
who's disenfranchised and economically challenged, really trying to figure out how to how to raise her kid on her own in the big city, especially when things are kind of falling apart around her. That uh, resonated with me, I guess, probably because I'm a, I'm a child of a single mom. And so that story was something that I understood well and very personally. So it was the script that really led to us choosing, choosing this particular project to film. Now, Nicole, when you came into this project and when Vlad first kind of pitched it at you, you were going through a lot of life changes yourself. Uh, what was that like for you? Well, I was newly married. I was married to an artist, and I was married to a guy who wanted to change his life. I read the script and reread the script, and I loved it. I loved the story. I loved that this woman was buoyant and joyful and taking charge of her life, despite life was like kicking her in the teeth over and over and over again. Her partner choice her lack of career, being a single mom, all these things were kicking her in the teeth, but she was so buoyant and joyful. And I was going through a life experience where I was in a new marriage that had a difficult history and I was being kicked in the teeth a little bit and and was unemployed and searching for work and it was very messy and complicated for me as a person and I kept reading the script and I told my husband yes I'll produce it with you yes I'll produce it with you and then one day I woke up and I said you know what I'm an actor I want to play Luba and we agreed that that was going to be the best choice to make this thing a go. It was, it was a very interesting process for me. But when I said yes to the role and I said yes to the project, I kind of dove in in a different way. Can you go into that a little bit? Uh, different how from, say, for example, you were recently on The Boys. How would you approach something like this versus something you may not have an emotional connection to like that? Okay, so a lot of Canadian work, um, I'm going to speak very candidly here, and I don't want to sound negative. I just want to speak honest, which is American projects come up to Hollywood North because it's economical for them. They get tax breaks. And, you know, they get cheap locations and cheap talent, and they are able to execute their work in a very economical way. So a lot of Canadian actors get hired onto those projects. They bring up their American stars, and the Canadian actors get hired to speak the two-line roles. There are a lot of actor positions or five and unders. And people in the industry will know what I'm saying when I say that. Lubo has a chance for me to play a lead character in a Canadian film, which means it's a Canadian person playing the lead in a Canadian production, which means you're getting a lot of the responsibility to carry the story. And it's not really offered to Canadian actors a lot. So the difference between me playing the boys, which is in order to fulfill their requirements, in order to be able to film in Canada, they got hand out so many roles to Canadian actors. That's just me being a hired gun on a bigger machine. Me choosing to play Luba in a Canadian feature is me putting my heart and soul on a production that I don't know if it's going to pay off financially, but I know that I'm going to be able to exercise myself as an artist and I'm able to contribute to a project in an artful way. It's a totally different 
task. Yeah, I'm hearing you 100%. And a lot of the people I talk to on this show are doing that exact same thing is they get to do, you know, the one or two lines on something for Amazon, something for Hallmark, and then feel that need, they expand out and then they create something like Luba and they want to build something. So how was that for you, Vlad? What was your what was your experience? And what was your need to write this? Well, she kind of left out one part that I think is is interesting, which is that we had just gotten married when we really started, we, we were in development for the year prior to our, our wedding, but then we made the, we finally found the money and decided we were going to do it basically the summer that we got married. And up until that point, she had been saying that she didn't want to play Luba because she wanted to protect the marriage. And the circumstances, <laughs> really, it was the speed with which we got the money and then we were ready to go. And because some other things had started, we had started casting already and it applied from for some other things it, uh, industry industry things that we needed to do in order to get the film to go. So suddenly we were moving and we didn't have our, our Luba cast yet. And at that point we sat down and had to talk about her playing the role, which I always thought she was good for, but you know, we were concerned about our, our marriage. <laughs> so she kind of, and I, I don't want to say she didn't have a choice, but like it was the best, it, it, and it, it really was the best option. Like we could have gone out and done casting and found somebody else, and it probably would have gone gone okay. But the fact that that she she is a fabulous actress and somebody that I trust and depend on so much as a person and know so well, it made it made all the work. Like because once you're done filming, there's there's another two years of work. <laughs> like it's. As as a, a director colleague of mine, Warren Sonoda, told me, he says, like, oh, you think you're done? You're just starting. We wrap camera. And I'm like, I didn't understand it at the time, but now I know. All the jobs that came afterwards, Nicole was right there, available, willing to go, willing to do it, logging hours and hours and hours and hours of work that you just, normal professional context, wouldn't have been possible. And it was very challenging in our marriage, but we we both hung in there. Nicole hung in there to her credit, despite me being really hard to take at times, <laughs> to put it put it mildly. We're still here, and and the movie really, 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 really benefited for it for Nicole's playing the lead role. I think it's an an interesting dynamic that you've written within this because it is two people that at one point had a connection and have now been torn apart predominantly because of substance abuse and uh, they have a child within the mix. And uh, how much, but when you were writing this, how much research did you do beforehand on what resources would be available, what the look of addiction does, how that does affect children who are seeing it directly in one incredibly disturbing moment? What was your process in that? Um, well, there was the, the normal script writing process. I, I made a, hundreds of phone calls to all sorts of different places to get things right, including addiction agencies, CAMH, and to police authorities and social workers, et cetera, all that, all the, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I'm also a very personal writer. I, prior to writing Luba, I had written a, a number of plays, three, four of which were produced, mounted, and all of those plays were very personal. So I was used to tackling topics that were personal and challenging to me. And, and I've had my own um, struggles with substance abuse and um, anger, anger issues. So that stuff was all things that not only did, it, did I have 
personal experience with, but I was also willing to look at myself and, and look at those things. And what I like to do as a writer is things that I'm, that I either have struggled with in the past or am struggling with as a person. I like to look at those things and then sort of imagine where do they go if I don't do something about them, about them or where would they have gone? I usually solve the problem first and then write about it. I think typically that's not always the case, but that's usually sometimes what I do in the context where I've, where I have solved the problem. I'm, I, I think about the situation that I was in and where things had would have gone if I hadn't corrected some things that I was doing poorly on for myself and for others. It wasn't hard for me to access the place that Donnie was in. It was a harder for me to access the place that Luba was in and trying to authentically capture a, a female voice, a single mother's voice of a, of a certain age, either mid, mid-30s-ish. That's the hardest part, but that's where your imagination comes in. Also, my relationship with my friend, my relationship with my mother, and then all the, all the um, consultations that I had done through the four or five years that I was writing the script. We did a, a year and a half of press junkets with, with Luba, and what's, the more we talked about it, the more I realized some things that the movie's about that I didn't even realize it at the time, and one of which is the loneliness of families in, in a city like Toronto. In a lot of ways, where you don't have like smaller town cultural underpinnings that are just built in place, especially especially in, in the new world, North America and Canada and the States, where everybody's coming from everywhere, you don't have your culture supporting you. If you aren't tied to your culture, which neither Luba nor Donnie are, you don't have anything kind of buoying you when things are getting challenged. You don't have your family around or, the, or a larger community of a smaller town supporting you. You don't have anybody that you're answering to or assisting you when you're in trouble. And we see this a little bit where Luba finally gets herself together to go out and look for help and she gets discouraged really easily because she doesn't know where to look and when she does look it just doesn't seem like she's looking at either in any of the right places or there really is any help for her. One of the things I thought was really interesting about the film that I hadn't seen on and I've watched a lot of Canadian film that I hadn't seen on film really explored for Toronto is the Eastern European influence and the community that people are a part of. And it seems to me that addiction actually is what separates, like there is that support system in place and there are those people, but it, the addiction and the substances that have driven them out of that, uh, out of that community by, by choice, that he's choosing to isolate himself and by association Luba. Because she does have those resources. She's able to drop her child <laughs> off for the night. There are those things available. But I think you're talking about in the broader schemes of things um, in that when she shows up at the one resource place, they're not, they're not available to help her. But there is that external community, especially with the Eastern European culture. Yes and no. I mean, it's kind of like there's support for the very bottom but kind of just above the very bottom, apart, apart from the people who are like struggling to the point where they are almost driven to the social support services, like Donnie is with his addiction. Like, you know, we kind of get some backstory where we find out that he was arrested early on and when, when Luba found out about, about his addiction. And that probably, it's not explicitly stated in the script, but that probably led to him, you know, going to CAMH or whatever program he was a part of. That certainly happens. I, I know that from experience that a lot of people end up in these rehab programs, not by choice, but but it's conditions of their, you know, their parole. But for somebody like Luba, like, it, it's very difficult to change your life if, you, if you're disenfranchised, if you're struggling just to, to make ends meet from month to month, and if you've got a kid to take care of. 
it's it's not an easy thing to go out and source whatever resources that are out there to to help you change your life and and figure out a different way to make a living where that is a is a something that you feel like you have some kind of upward mobility you know people really get stuck in a place where they feel like they don't have anywhere to go and they have no upward mobility and when they do go reach out they get discouraged very quickly i mean that's i mean i can i can think of half a dozen people probably off the top of my head that are in that exact situation it's you know there there are resources out there but they're very specific and i again i i think a lot of those resources are are targeting specific groups of people a lot of the most marginalized and above that that group of the most marginalized it's kind of a, a bigger mush of where do you go for help and who can help you i don't actually think it's that easy Oh, no, I'm not saying it's easy. And I, I think the film does a really good job of kind of spraying <clears throat> the challenges that it has. I think it's interesting that one of the elements that you threw in was the idea that there is at least some sort of community available, for example, the church that Donnie has specifically disenfranchised himself from, that that resource is available and there are people there, his mother is there, but they are unclear on how to how to get involved with this as well. Then you kind of touch on the idea of what enablement looks like. Like there's a lot of really complicated topics you're dealing with when is too much help um, actually hindering the person, that kind of thing. His mother is still holding on to the cultural traditions where Donnie has no relationship to them anymore. His mother has her church and she's really holding on to the Ukrainian traditions. She's the one that's facilitating the Ukrainian Christmas dinner and all of the things that the Ukrainian culture that she, that she holds dear. Donnie's rejected that and he doesn't realize that he's really abandoned himself by kind of abandoning every by abandoning everything and then when things go bad for him and this is typical with 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 people who are struggling with with addiction and substance abuse is that job loss and difficulties with relationships those two things are like two of the key things that get people spiraling and when those things come together that's even more challenging for those kinds of people and they struggle even harder to recover from those or, or even handle them in the first place and then they start looking for help in all the wrong places and I don't know if Nicole wants to jump in here I've been doing a lot of talking but Donnie just doesn't know how to take care of himself you know he doesn't know how to pick a healthy option when things are getting challenging he, he prefers escapism or it's the easiest option for him to choose the substance abuse theme is the major item that made me say yes to working on this film. I grew up in a home with a father struggling with substance abuse. Now, he was my stepfather. He wasn't my biological father, but he was the one that I lived with full time. And to this day, he still is struggling with relapse with um, a major chemical addiction. The fact that Donnie is a good dad and the child idolizes this dad, even though he is struggling with addiction and substance abuse and makes a lot of mistakes, the child still loves his father. And the relationship of father to son in this movie is still important, even though this dad has made mistakes. And the fact that Vlad was able to capture that and articulate that spoke to the inner child in me and how much I love my stepfather and made me say yes to this film because there's no big, bad, evil guy in the movie. There's just just normal people who are making mistakes and it's just a bunch of people trying to do the best they can 
with what they have. All the people that saw the film during the festival circuit, they wanted to take me aside after seeing the film and they wanted to tell me their story of their parent, their grandparent, their partner who struggled with addiction. And they wanted to share with me that they're not bad people. They wanted to share with me their story of trying to help them through their partner, their parent, their child's addiction. And no one's a bad person. They just have bad circumstances or bad habits or bad addictions. And, and we're all just trying to survive. Thank you for that, Nicole. I really appreciate that. Can you speak a little bit to, I, I don't know what your own status is, if you have, I, obviously, the, 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 the introduction of, of having the child and, and being that so, so prominent in the film and watching him react and watching him be basically a ping pong ball between these two adults. Uh, was something that deeply affected me. And I think that's the part that spoke to me personally, the the strongest. Can you talk a little bit about uh, developing your relationship with the child actor? Because clearly there's some sort of chemistry between the two of you. Absolutely. The child actor, his first name is Porter. He was magic. He was um, a little boy who was passionate about acting and about the craft and about playing pretend. And he was able to show up and do really difficult work every day um, he had the support of really magnificent parents who were always on set with him. He just really wanted to get to know me and Vlad. He really wanted to delve into the world of being this little kid and react to his parents the way a, a kid would in that situation. He was he was phenomenal, and he spent a lot of time with me and Vlad as his pretend parents and he would joke around you know off camera calling me mom and stuff he would try he would try and do all these little tricks to try and trick himself and he was only eight years old and I have an eight-year-old stepdaughter today and to think of the responsibility this little eight-year-old actor took on at the time knowing that I have an eight-year-old today and and it, it's just phenomenal and he's um he's since worked on some other major projects and I think he has a really bright future in the world he really knows how to play pretend and to lend himself to the project he was very mature at a very young age he's an old soul I was really proud of him. Uh, sorry, Nicole, if I can jump in just just you saying that that they're the same age now or that math that Porter was the age that our daughter is now that's even more astounding to me what he was able to do with us yeah i'm a little bit in shock right now just thinking about that just realizing that yeah. they're they're the same age authentic and genuine in everything he did as a performer wow i can't just i'm just like her, in shock right now he's the same parents, age as our daughter holy smokes when he filmed and his parents were very clear with us that they knew him, they knew his heart, they knew his intention, and they knew he wanted to be an actor, and they didn't doubt it. And I'm just so thankful that his parents were supportive and could trust in such a young child that he knew what he was doing, because I think he did. I truly believe he knew what he was signing up for, and the fact that his parents were open and supportive and encouraging for him to follow a dream at such a young age, like that's a really, really beautiful family, a very unique, awesome family that's able to give him that gift of allowing him to pursue something at such a young age.
Uh, it's a really beautiful performance from from everybody involved. One more time, the film can be seen uh, very soon, starting January 10th, 2020. That's on highball.tv. I have to ask the question that I ask all of my guests. Is there a Canadian film you would like to recommend to our listeners to check out? Mine is Mommy. It's a French-Canadian film. I saw it at TIFF a couple years ago. It blew my mind. I fell in love with it. The performances, the story, the cinematography. It is a beautiful film. M-O-M-M-Y, Mommy. If you don't know French, you'll have to read the subtitles. I didn't know French. I read the subtitles, and it didn't change a thing. I loved it, loved it, loved it. How about for yourself, Vlad? And I'll go with Jackie Boy, Cody Campanelli's film. He he was a mentor to me throughout the Luba filmmaking process, and I think his film was really incredibly genuine and incredibly personal. And he really was trying to—he is or was—I don't—I don't know how you say that—but is trying to tell a story that was very important, very personal to him. And I have great, 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 great respect for him as a filmmaker, as a mentor, and as a friend. And I highly, highly uh, encourage everybody out there to look for Jackie Boy. I think it's on TMN and uh, available on iTunes, I believe, if not other platforms. And then my final question, which is always the tough one, uh, what do you both think that Canada needs more of in order to support its artists? I think Canada has an opportunity to have to really make its mark on the international cinema stage. I don't think I don't think we've quite had it yet. I don't think we've had our golden age yet. I think it's still ahead of us. And I think if we got we have the talent, we have some really really wonderful technical and performing artists and I think we need a, a few really ambitious people to lead ahead get ahead of some things we got lots of tools available to us now that we never had before and i think we're much more sophisticated as a as a country and as an industry than we were before and i think we can really harness all of that energy all that talent and all of the resources that are available to us now to make some really really powerful canadian commercially viable and artistically genuine pieces of cinema that that could really do well throughout the world. I'm very excited about what's ahead for Canadian cinema. How about for yourself, Nicole? I think that Canada needs to risk investing in projects that are creator-based. I think there's too many chefs in the kitchen. (laughs) And I think any project that gets really celebrated out of any country, it's when the creators the artists are given control over their content so i think if canada could somehow give money to a writer creator a director creator an artist creator and let them have some more control over the finished product i think the amount of authentic amazing funny canadians are so funny funny, beautiful finished products would really come out of our country as long as the original artist was allowed more freedom over the finished product. Thank you both so much for your time. Thank you for your vulnerability. Thank you for your stories. And thank you for Luba. I'm really excited for people to check this out. Yeah, you too, Becky. Thanks very much. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. If you like what we're doing, please remember to rate us and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcatcher. It helps people find our podcast and Canadian media they love. Come chat with us at RCM Pod on Facebook or on Twitter at RCM Pod. Our theme song is by Craig Stewart and our show art is by Paul Stachniak. Join us next week for another great film from the wilds of Canadian cinema.